Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> you guys are good. <laughs> Welcome to Adult Bible Study at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Longman. We're working through um, the, kind of the opening chapter of Luke um, as, a, as just kind of a good and appropriate thing for us to be studying in this time of Advent. Um, because Luke, probably better than any of the other gospel writers, um, really focuses in on the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus Christ. And so we're spending some time in that um, these few weeks of Advent. Um, so today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. Before we get into that, though, anybody have any questions about anything? Want to watch any football later? Uh, yeah, there was a game yesterday. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it was the SEC championship game. The one that Georgia won big? Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> How about them dogs? Yeah, I'm happy Michigan won. And Gene's happy Michigan won. So, any guesses on who's going to be in the top four? Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and Ohio State. Uh, so, you're going with TCU. I, they say that the toss-up is TCU or Alabama. I think a big 12 runner-up. With only one loss, is better than two losses. <laughs> I think TCU will yeah. be a big, it'll be a, it'll be a yeah. big match. Yeah. It'll be a tough game. TCU has had quite a run, though. Um, yeah, Georgia game was amazing. That was a cool game. We allowed way too many points, though. And and I thought this was interesting. What was it I heard? Um, two things. One, Stetson Bennett, the quarterback for Georgia, was a walk-on. Did you know that? Yeah, I heard that. And he'll end his senior season never having a loss at home. He never lost at Sanford Stadium, which is pretty amazing. Um, and there was one other stat. I can't remember. What, something, something that they hadn't done since 2016. I don't know. Anyway. Um, other questions? Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. For those of you who haven't heard it, you'll just have to wait. <laughs> cool. Um, Y'all know, ladies, that um, Advent by Candlelight is this afternoon, 4.30. Um, we've got midweek services, 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. Um, we're working, it's, I mean, it's, we don't have a lot of time to, like, develop a series, but um, we're looking at three different things. The title of it is, This is My Son. And we're looking at um, two different Old Testament sons who kind of seem to fit the pattern of what the Messiah would be but we're not. Um, so last week on Wednesday, we looked at Cain. And this week, we're looking at Absalom, which is David's son, um, who winds up dying an ignoble death. Um, and it's all pointing us to the one who is the son that was to come, and that's Jesus Christ. And we'll hear about him on Christmas, so that'll be neat. Um, so come join us for that. Soup supper start at 545 each Wednesday. Um, one more midweek Advent service, and then the next week, December 14th, is the Children's Christmas Program. Um, so you want to come out for that. It's only at 7 p.m. We don't have a 10 a.m., and we do have a soup supper that night. That's the 14th. Um, next weekend, uh, we will not meet here because Pastor Clausen and his wife Hannah will be in town, and we're going to use the 9.30 hour for him to have a Q&A with the congregation. Now, here's the twist. We've already asked our questions of him. It's his turn to ask questions of us because we've extended the call and we can't take it back. So, so um, he's, thank you. Did everybody get to sign in here? 
Okay. Um, ah, Ken got you, Donna. You're good. Um, so he'll have questions for us, and you need to be there because you might have the answer to one of his questions. I don't know. Um, so come join us for that. We'll have snacks and stuff. We'll be meeting in the Life Center, though, at 9.30 next Sunday. And Will there be a time when we learn what questions you ask them? Nope, you'll never know. No, but I... No, I'm happy to share that with you. We can talk about what the call committee talked about. Although most of that was actually recounted in the profile that we gave you. Yeah. Um, because that what we tried to do was kind of bring out the questions that we asked and what their answers were. Um, so I would say, you know, read that profile to give you a good sense of who he is. Um, and if you didn't know, Pastor Clawson actually was a friend of mine. We went to seminary together um, and graduated at the same time. There was so when we went to um, the national youth gathering, it became a thing with the kids. They were like, "Don't go anywhere with Pastor Longman." Because he'll run into like 50 people he knows. <laughs> Which is true. We actually started keeping count. And it was, it was a running tally. And it was usually 30 to 50 that I knew every, every day. Um, anyway, um, they will be here just for the weekend. It's a little funny schedule in terms of how they were able to work out travel. Because they're coming from California. Um, so they're here basically Saturday afternoon. We've got some things scheduled for meetings. Sunday, they'll be here at both services and, of course, the Q&A. Um, and we have meetings Sunday afternoon, and then they're flying back early, early Monday morning. So just prayers for them for safe travel. Um, his wife, Hannah, is pregnant. So, you know, prayers for her and for her she baby. She still is. Huh? She still is. <laughs> she still is. And apparently not as far along as we might have thought because she can travel. So, you know. Um, but really looking forward to seeing them and getting to know them. Um, any other questions about anything? Okay. Nothing. Okay, let's start with a short devotion, again from the book By Faith Alone by Martin Luther, just a series of devotions, one for every day. And today's, December 4th, is Mark chapter 12, verse 31. The second most important commandment is this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The title of this is Love Your Neighbor. When you're wondering, whom should you show love to? There is no living creature better than your neighbor to show love to. Your neighbor is not a devil, a lion, a bear, or a wolf. He's not made of stone or wood. He's a living being who is much like you. There's nothing living on the earth more lovable, kind, useful, good, comforting, or more necessary. He was even created for friendly conversation and for social life. There's nothing in the whole world more worthy of our love than our neighbor. But it is the remarkable craft of the devil that he not only severely darkens our hearts and tears this superior object of our love from our hearts, but he also persuades our hearts of the opposite opinion, so that we think our neighbor is more worthy of bitter hatred than of love. Now, this is easy for the devil to do. He simply nags us. See, this person has such and such a fault. He abused you. He hurt you. And then this object of love quickly becomes contemptible to us so that we no longer recognize our neighbor as one who should be loved, but rather as an enemy worthy of intense hatred. <clears throat> in this way, Satan can amazingly change the love in our heart so that instead of loving our neighbor, we become capable of demeaning, hating, and persecuting him. And then all that remains of this commandment, love your neighbor as you love yourself, 
are the bare and empty letters and syllables. Y'all, he wrote that in the 1500s. But it sure stands today, doesn't it? Like in political discourse particularly. Wow. Things don't change. There you go. We don't learn from our mistakes. No, sadly. Sadly. We have this human nature that follows us around. Let's pray. Um, thank you, Lord God. Um, in spite of the fact that we do have this sinful nature that clings to us, that leads us to want to hate our neighbor, that wants to follow the Satan's stupid suggestions, that that still you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for us. We thank you for the faith that you have given us. We thank you for your word that preserves the, the stories about him so that we can better know who he is. We can know who we are and know that your plan of salvation is. So we pray that uh, you would be with us today as we gather around your word uh, recorded for us by Luke. Um, we pray that you would guide and lead us, send your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds so that we would understand and learn from it and come to a better relationship and a closer relationship with you. We ask it all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, we're in Luke chapter one. We have seen um, Luke's dedication of the book to Theophilus, whether that's a real person or just sort of an imaginary person, we don't know. Um, we looked at um, the angel Gabriel and his appearance to Zechariah as he was serving in the temple to announce that he would have a son and that they would name him uh, John. Um, he was so shocked by this and disbelieving that he wound up unable to speak and would not be able to speak until John was born and his first words actually would be, his name is John. Um, and then we saw the angel Gabriel uh, six months later come to Mary uh, to announce to her that she would become pregnant as well and uh, the baby that she would carry would be the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. So kind of what we have now, we're going to, following after those two appearances or annunciations, announcements, is Mary's visit to Elizabeth. And that's what we're going to look at today. Um, Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. And I'm going to go ahead and read. It's on your sheet. Uh, everybody should have a sheet. It's actually it's two pages front and back. Um, yours looks a little different because I have notes online. But um, if you don't, have you got them here? Yeah, there's more sheets here if anybody needs one. Um, and I'm going to make sure that you get credit for being here, Pam. Oh, she's on there. <laughs> Is she really? I put her on there. Well, if I put her on there twice, do I get paid twice? Yes. <laughs> It's like a Christmas bonus. All right. Luke chapter 1, 39 to 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, excuse me, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Thoughts, comments, observations, questions, aha moments. Yeah, Ken. Uh, it says, uh, and all generations will call me blessed. Yeah. Now, uh, some people in this world have taken that uh, yeah, to a further extent. Ooh! <laughs> you mean the Catholic Church? So, so what, I mean, yeah, certainly the Catholic Church holds Mary in super high esteem, right? Um, do you think they've gone too far with it? I know they did. <laughs> okay. Talk about that. I mean, why? What What's going on there? She's not God, and you can't. Yeah, and so you can't worship. So I think probably the line is that what Mary says is, "All generations will call me blessed." Right? Good. Yeah, good. Right? We're all like, "Yeah, I'm totally." My goodness, God chose you to be the vessel that carried His Son to term, and from whom was born. That's amazing, and and clearly a blessing. But then the question is, then, is the step beyond that to praying to Mary, to venerating her as as something more? And Immaculate Conception is a big part of this. Yeah. And I, I'm going to probably, for some of you, clarify something you may not have realized. We hear about Immaculate Conception, and I think most of us, especially if you grew up Lutheran, think in your mind, okay, they're talking about the fact that the Virgin conceived and, and yeah. became pregnant. That is not what the doctrine of Immaculate Conception refers to. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. This, and and a lot, when I tell people this, they're like, Pow! I mean, it just blows their mind. Because the Catholic doctrine is that Mary, in order to be a, an appropriate vessel for the Lord, was herself born without sin. Now, it, now if, you, if you head down that road then, with the idea that, okay, then Mary too was sinless, which, by the way, is contradicted by Scripture, um, then you can kind of see how you wind up in a place where you would venerate Mary and you would lift her up um, in the way that the Catholic Church has. Pastor. Which means her parents had to be without sin. Right. I mean, how do you... Tra- and, and, and it's turtles all the way down. <laughs> Elaine said, I wasn't related to that family. <laughs> yes, Roberta. Um, God, of course, is unapproachable. Yep. Jesus could have been angry with you, mm-hmm. uh, reproachful, um, in that sense. So he wasn't safe to talk to either, <laughs> because you were you were sinful. Right. So you had a lot of guilt in front of Jesus. There you go. So the next step and the safest person to talk to was the loving mother. Oh. 
so that she would intercede to her son without repeating. <laughs> I've heard people say it that way. So if you want something done, you talk to the mama. Right. And so if you were in that situation, you needed right. someone who could comfort you. Right. And uh, then beyond that came the later, as the saints were recognized, right. they interceded kind of like little demigods where they had right. their own particular little thing you could pray to. Right. Right. Yeah, they each kind of had their area of specialty. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so, I mean, we're... So remember, Luther was Catholic, right? I mean, Luther, yeah. Luther grew up with this and certainly continues to, and the Lutheran Church does, continue to hold Mary in very high esteem. But we've, we stop short of worshiping, praying to, or anything like that. In fact, the only person we're going to pray to is God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. Um, and, and so the, the difference maybe in the kind of Catholic perspective and the Lutheran perspective is that the saints... We, we certainly um, appreciate, we, we thank God for the saints, we look to them as an example, um, we, we seek to understand their lives so that we can see how they lived in their faith, because that can help guide what our faith looks like, but we're not going to step across that line that says that you're going to pray to them, we're not going to do that, because I'm going to reserve my prayers for God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, because that's how scripture indicates that we should pray. She was a safe person for women. Yeah. To approach a man was uh, terrifying. Yeah. And so, and it reflects like some of the own altar. The altar yeah. is actually yeah. for women. And when you're married, you take a, a, a light a candle and take a bouquet of flowers for Mary's altar. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I learned something interesting when we were traveling in Italy this summer. I don't know how I never figured that out before, but. There are several duomos or cathedrals in Italy that are striped, black and white stripe or, or dark green and white stripe. Um, and I, it was this trip when I finally realized that the stripes are um, an indication that the church somehow or another has something to do with Mary. So the, the cathedral in Siena is an example of it, the cathedral in Florence. Um, the, there are a couple of other cathedrals that are striped. Orvieto is one of them. Um, and they're all cathedrals generally somehow or another related to Mary. And I didn't realize that the stripes were an indication of that. So, yeah, just a little bit of trivia. Okay. Um, any other thoughts on the reading before we jump into questions? Well, on Elizabeth. Yes. Okay. So she would have been six months pregnant when Mary got there. Mm-hmm. And then she was one of, other than prophets, the only regular person who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Mary stayed with her for three months. Right. So Mary left just before the baby you, was born. That's my question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. Just, y'all just go ahead and strike seven off your list. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't look ahead. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the timing is really interesting in all of this. I've never noticed that before. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Um, there's, and I think it's important the way Luke writes it um, really kind of brings out the, the interconnectedness of Mary and Elizabeth and then ultimately between John and Jesus and, and what all's going on there. There's some interesting stuff that happens in John's life too. Um, there's a point at which John sends his followers to Jesus to ask if he's the one. And, and I, I've always, I've wrestled with that one because I, 
I'm like, John, I mean, surely John knew. You know, surely it was clear to him. And yet the scriptures, you know, what I, where I wind up with it, I'm sorry I'm stammering a lot, but where I wind up with it is I almost feel like John sent his followers to Jesus to ask him that just to prove it to them. Yes. Like, like he knew, but he was like, well, go, go ask him. I mean, if you don't, you know, if you're not sure, go ask him. Well, it was also a way to get his followers to not think more of him yeah. than he really was. Yeah, yeah. John makes that... we forget so much that these people were all related. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mary and Elizabeth are cousins. I mean, they knew each other. So interesting stuff. Okay. Um, the first question. The narrative moves forward with Mary visiting Elizabeth. And Luke introduces this new section with a distinctive phrase, in those days. Um, does that sound familiar to you? And where have you heard it before? When the day was right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When the time had come, yeah. In those days. So there's a couple passages you can look up here. Judges, I just picked these kind of at random. Judges 17, verse 6. Um, if somebody else would find 1 Samuel 28, verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. Jeremiah 3, 18. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Okay, cool. So in those days, Israel had no king. 1 Samuel 28, verse 1. This is the Bible Olympics portion of the class. <laughs> Got it, Ken? Yeah. Go ahead. And now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel and Achish said to David, you are surely... You, you surely know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. Thank you. Second Kings, verse 20. You may be sensing a pattern here. In those, go for it. Okay. In those days was the Zechariah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thy house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Wow. Uh, what about Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 18? In those days the house of Judah will join the house of Israel, and together they will come from a northern land to the land I gave your forefathers as an inheritance. All right. Could you sense any pattern in those readings? Every one of them started out with in those days. Your translation was a little different. In those days, right? Um, that phrase is a very Hebrew turn of phrase, okay? You bump into it all over the Old Testament. And it's a very Jewish way of speaking. In those days, this happened. In those days, that right. Well, yeah, yeah. It's a little like once upon a time. You know, we all kind of, it's a phrase that we all kind of go, okay, I know it's, I know it's coming now. You know, I kind of, okay, I understand what, what our genre is. And so when Luke speaks in that way, um, what he's doing is he's writing to people for whom this is a familiar way of speaking. Right, he's he's speaking in a Jewish dialect, if you want to call it that, to his readers. 
um, and, and giving them a way to, he's kind of leaning into their Jewish heritage and he's tying together what's in the Old Testament with what he's giving an account of now, which is Jesus' life. Okay, You may recall that when we looked at the first part of Luke's gospel, that introductory section where he talks about Theophilus and why he's writing and all that kind of stuff is, is high Greek. I mean, it's like really perfect. You know, this is the, like, like the pristine, excellent example of Greek. And then all of a sudden, when he starts and he turns to tell the story of Zechariah and then continuing on from there, his language changes completely and it becomes very much more like Semitic Greek. It's, it's Greek with a Jewish accent. And so that's coming out in here again, where he uses this phrase, in those days. Um, it's, it actually, the, the Greek is anti-Semerais. Um, it, it echoes directly a Hebrew phrase, um, Bayamim Hahem, both of which mean in those days. So it's just, he's kind of speaking in a language that, that people will be comfortable with, okay? So look at John 5.39 and think about what this may suggest about the use of that phrase. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. So that's Jesus talking to the Pharisees who weren't recognizing who he was. And he was like, you guys, you look, you pour over the scriptures trying to figure out eternal life and the scriptures are all about me. Well, that's kind of what Luke is doing. He's sort of plucking something out of the Old Testament and bringing it forward so that you can see that interconnectedness and understand what he's really talking about. Ken? When he talked about the first five books of the Bible, when he said, you search the scriptures, because that's what they had. Well, they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament, but they had pretty much all the Old Testament. Well, they had all yeah. of it, yeah. yeah. So it's the Torah, it's the prophets, it's the Psalms, the writings, the history, all that kind of stuff that's in there. You could have um, said you, you, you studied the scrolls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, and, and you're right. I mean, when Jesus says you, you search the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. And, and it's an interesting thing for him to say and a reminder for us. You know, when we, when we read the Old Testament as Christians, we read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, right? We read it with our understanding of what has come since. And that helps us to interpret and understand what's going on. If you didn't know anything about Christianity and didn't know anything about Jesus and picked up the book of Isaiah to read it, what would you make of all that stuff? I mean, it, it with no context for any of it, it would be terribly confusing. You know, he, he had no form that we should look on him, no beauty that we should regard him. He was, you know, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you got no context in which to understand that. All of a sudden, now the New Testament happens, and Mary, this virgin, conceives and bears a son. And all of a sudden you go back to Isaiah and go, oh, oh, that's what he's talking about. And so you see the fulfillment of the thing and it makes more sense. But they did know where he was going to be born. Sure. Yeah. Old Testament. Old Testament talked about it. Yeah. I mean, so. The but you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, are by no means least in the house. Yeah. 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 And yeah. they knew he was coming. Right. But uh, they didn't recognize him. That's right. That's right. So in those days, it's kind of like when 
when we talk, especially those of us who are older, in those days, we thought this way or looked at it in this perspective. And then he's saying, but now that Christ has come, yeah, I'm he's, not. He's putting it in a time frame that that was the past. I, well, I think you can do that. I think more though, he's speaking in a language that's comfortable to people, so that it's approachable and they can and they can go, okay, I, I know what he's talking about now, because he's he's talking my language here, and so what he's doing is he's telling a contemporary to him narrative of Jesus and who he is, but he's doing it in language that's familiar to the Old Testament to make clear that this is a continuation of, right? Because that, he was Jewish, yeah. he thought Jewish, he lived Jewish, he spoke Jewish, right. but yet this was written in Greek, so that Jewishness has got to come through. Exactly, right, yeah. In, in many ways. I mean, Luke understands that he's speaking into a community that is largely comprised of Jews. Mm -hmm. and, and so he's going to talk in their language, he's going to speak yeah. their way. Because the people in those days are in the same position that we are today. Yeah. The coming of Jesus again. Yes, exactly. Yeah. We we're in the same position that they were. Yep. And right now the world doesn't believe that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And we're looking forward to uh, coming again with a little bit more history to back that up to understand what it means. All right. Um, to a town in Judah. That's that. The opening thing. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah. And it gives us a little bit of a clue about where Zechariah and Elizabeth might live. And Pam, this is probably a question for you. <laughs> where might that be? <laughs> this is our local Israel expert. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Okay, so here's, here's where we're going with it and, and kind of the point. Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom, okay? I, I would draw you a map of Israel, but you want a map of Israel? I'll draw one, it's fun. Maps of Israel are easy. Israel, <laughs> Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea. Okay? That's pretty good, isn't it? And that's the Jordan River. Yeah, and that's the Jordan River. Because they connect the two. Yeah, right. Looks sea of like Galilee, Jordan River, yeah, right. <laughs> and then the big sea on the left, Egypt. <laughs> Down there. I expect more. Dead Sea, yes. Sea of Galilee, Jordan River. Okay. <laughs> kind of divides in three. Um, Galilee, up in the north. Judah, or Judea, in the south. And in the middle, Samaria. Samaria. That's where those Samaritans come. Samaritan. That's where the Samaritans come from. Good Samaritan. Um, this, is, this is not to scale. But there's Jerusalem down here. Okay. So to say that she went to a town in Judah means she was in the southern kingdom, probably pretty close to Jerusalem, which makes sense because Zechariah was just serving in the temple. Right? He's a priest. And so they probably live somewhere in the vicinity of Jerusalem because he might get called up for duty and have to go do his thing in the temple. And the temple's here, and that's the only place. So it's not like you get called to a church in Galilee, or you get called to a church in Samaria, or you get called to a church in Rogers. <laughs> the temple is the temple. There's only one. And if you're a priest, that's where you're serving. Now there's synagogues where they're teaching and stuff elsewhere, but the temple is only in Jerusalem. 
So when Mary gets called, or when Mary makes this trip to Judah, to a town in Judah, um, she's going somewhere pretty close to Jerusalem. And I think what's cool about it is that that location then brings together the birth of John the Baptist, because he would have been born then pretty close to Jerusalem, um, with Jesus, the person, he's going to be, I mean, you know, Bethlehem is like, here. I mean, it's like right there. Um, Bethlehem's pretty close. Um, and it puts them all close to the most holy location in the world, the temple. Was right? Bethany? Hmm? Where, did they live in Bethany? Don't know. Oh, okay. Don't know for sure. Somewhere in the vicinity of Jerusalem. But Bethany's a good bet, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you know, you look at you look at Passion Week. Jesus spent his evenings in Bethany. Bethany, by the way. So you got Jerusalem, the Kidron Valley. Across the Kidron is Bethany, and Bethphage and all that stuff is on that side of the Mount of Olives. Um, and we know that we know that Holy Week, Jesus spent his time, his evenings in Bethany, and then he came over to Jerusalem during the day, across the Kidron Valley, and then up into Jerusalem. Yeah. So in that ballpark. Yeah. All right, so what happened, number three, when Mary entered the house and greeted Elizabeth? And what conclusions can we draw from it? <laughs> it made Ken laugh. Oh, boy. What? Lynn? Holy Spirit's at work. Holy Spirit's at work. He's up to something. How so? What happened? I mean, let's the just... Child recognized the Yeah. As a unborn child. Elizabeth's baby in her womb leapt for joy. What did that feel like, I wonder? <laughs> Having never been pregnant. <laughs> so the yeah. baby left, and then and Elizabeth was filled. Yeah, probably at the same time. I mean, you know, it's not a sequential sequential yeah. thing. But yeah, so the baby left. Elizabeth is filled. Now, what? so what? Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. How, how, do, how does that kind of come out? Because she admitted it. She well, she was like, dude, like, who am I that the mother of my Lord would come visit me? Which means she recognized who Mary's baby was. The only way that happens is that the Holy Spirit reveals it to her, right? Lynn. John in the womb recognizes Jesus in yeah. the next womb. Yeah. The next womb over. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> So that I'm sorry, y'all. John, by the Holy Spirit, <laughs> yeah. in the womb, leaps for joy yeah. at the occupancy yeah. of Mary's womb. Yeah. yeah. The Holy Spirit's at work. How cool well, is this? recognizes it because yeah. she likes Yeah. 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 So, like, everybody's eyes are open. That's one way to look at it, right? The Holy Spirit right. is working in the midst of all of this. Which has significant implications for life in the world. Yeah, yeah. absolutely it does. It's yeah. A baby is not a thing. It's a human, not a piece of flesh. Absolutely. Yeah. And okay, so the baby leaps for leaps for joy in her womb. Um, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. She gets that Mary is carrying a child who is the Lord, um, which is information that could only have been revealed to her by the Holy Spirit. And the fact that John reacts as he does says a couple of things, I think. One, it reveals that babies can have faith. Hence, infant baptism. That's why we do it. 
Um, and second, it further cements John's role as the forerunner of the Messiah. He knows who this guy is. And he understands what he's going to be doing. And then you've got Mary and Elizabeth, and they're all kind of clued into what's going on here. I mean, that's pretty amazing. He knew Jesus before he was born. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Recognized him in the womb. Other thoughts? I mean, it, you're right. It has huge implications for life issues. How do we understand life? How do we think about life? And, you know, there's this whole weird debate that's going on in the world right now about when does life begin? And, and, you know, here's a perfect example from Scripture that says that life begins at conception in the womb. Um, and, you know, that's that's what we're going to lean into. It's Mary is just barely conceived. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Three months, maybe. Yeah. Three months. Yeah. Something else it does is... Is that right? No, it's not three months. No, it's not. It's three months by the time she leaves. So she's, yeah, just barely conceived. Thank you. Yeah. So the angel had told Zachariah how John was to be raised. Yeah. He wasn't to have this. He wasn't to yeah. do that. No drinking. And the Holy Spirit coming on Elizabeth and her recognizing how special her baby was going to be would have been a further reinforcement of Zachariah's words yeah. so that she would have been on board with raising him that way. Yeah, let's see here. The angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. This is back in verse 12, um, 13. The angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Guess what? Even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Yeah. The fact that he was never to have wine <clears throat> yeah. would have had significance even from the time he was a baby because during the Jewish Shabbat, mm -hmm. Everybody in the family, as part of the, the ceremony, has wine. Ah. And I've even, when I've been in Israel, and, and the, a lot of the families will dress up and come to the restaurant hotels for their Shabbat. Mm -hmm. And the hotels have a, a, glad, a bottle of wine on the table and the special bread. And, and families will stand up and they'll say their words and stuff. And then when they're passing the wine around, They'll even take a pacifier from a baby, dip it in the wine, and put it in the baby's mouth yeah. because everybody in the family yeah, we share that's a this. part of the <laughs> right. process. Right. So for her to know that then, right. that would have been an unusual thing. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, Elizabeth speaks a word of blessing over Mary. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. How does that relate to our faith? Spoken. Okay. Tell me more. Uh, it's necessary to express your faith 
verbal. So, okay, so our, our faith comes out in the words that we speak, right? It, it emerges from us in that way. Um, any other thoughts on it? Yeah, John. Right. She knows that Mary did Oh, how interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because John's not, I mean, uh, Zechariah's not been talking. Yeah, good point, John. I think it's the same thing that the words apply to all of us Christians today. Yeah. Because we have the Bible, we have God's spoken word. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't have the advantage of seeing Jesus face to face anymore. Right. But we believe that everything that God has told us, that Jesus came, died, Rose again for us, and that he's coming back. So we have all of that to look forward to. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. I think it's all about believing, right? I mean, that's what it really boils down to. And we're blessed when we believe. Yeah. You're right. Absolutely. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And and we too. I mean, when we believe what is spoken to us from the Lord, that stuff, right? When we believe that, there's a blessing in that. The blessing is forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Um, you know, Mary was blessed not because of anything that she did. She was blessed because she believed what God said. Um, and so also, we're not blessed because of anything that we do. We're blessed because of what we believe. Do you think she knew she was sinless? She wasn't. <laughs> she said Mary was. Uh, that's what the Catholic Church teaches. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would argue not the case. Uh, and, and I would argue it based on Scripture, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. I, I mean, Scripture is pretty clear that we are all sinful. The only one who's sinless is Jesus. Um, and so what I do think is that she, she was humble and, and recognized that she had been elevated to something special, Right? That, that she, you know, when, when Gabriel comes to her and makes that announcement and says, you're going to conceive and bear a child and he's going to be called great and he's going to be called the son of God and he's going to be the savior of the world. And, and her reaction, unlike Zechariah, who's like, what are you talking about? Her reaction is, yeah, but I'm a virgin. I mean, that was it. And, and it was cool. This is going to happen. I'm not sure I understand how, but that's awesome. And so her, her humility and her trust that God would accomplish exactly what he said he would is, is I think, what, what Elizabeth is kind of drawing out here. Yeah. Other comments? Thoughts? Yeah, just one. So the idea behind humans are simple. Yes. From point of conception to death. Yep. Jesus being who he is, is he not still human? He is 100% human, okay. right? But without the sin, without original sin passed down to him. And here's, I think generally how that's explained is the idea that it was passed down from Adam, okay? So that Adam becomes, and the father becomes the channel by which the sin is passed down. And, and Jesus, as the Son of God, then does not have a human father who could have passed that sin down to him. So he is 100% human, but without sin. 
So this passed down to Adam. Right. Was it not Eve who sent first? Yeah, and what Genesis makes clear is that Adam was right there with her. And so his sin was the failure to restrain her and stop her from doing what he knew was sinful. And he was born, basically born from Adam. Yeah, yeah, so, right, right. So, I mean, I think theologically that's kind of how you come at it. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and, and it's interesting, too, like if you look at... Um, is it Matthew? Matthew starts off with that long... Um, yeah, the long genealogy at the beginning of Matthew. Um, nah, I'm, I'm wandering off in the weeds here. Um, is it Matthew 3? No, it's Matthew 1. Yeah, so, so Matthew traces the genealogy from father to son, which is interesting because, if I remember right, somebody can correct me, I think in Judaism, your faith is actually passed down by your mom, which is interesting. So particularly interesting then that Matthew would trace the lineage through fathers when the faith is passed along through mothers. And, and I think it's interesting and, and notable that, yeah, um, Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. We then make a point out of the fact that he's descended from David. But so is Mary. She also is descended from David. Um, and so in, in either case, the prophecy that it would be the son of David, you know, comes to pass um, through his father, God, <laughs> and through his adoptive father, if you want to call it that, Joseph, but also through his mother, Mary, through her line. So both of them tie him back to David. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting that the different approaches that are taken there. Did we wander way too far off the path? Um, Mary's song, which begins at verse 46, is called the Magnificat. It comes from the Latin, the first word in the Latin translation of it. It's one of four canticles or songs that appear in the first two chapters of Luke's gospel. Um, the others, Zechariah bursts into song when John is born. Um, the angels sing when they announce Jesus' birth, and Simeon um, in, the, in the temple sings a blessing when Jesus comes there. What's surprising about the songs and what do they communicate? And, and I'm going to, we're a little short on time, I'm going to give you the answer. But if you look at those songs, one of the things that's interesting about all of them is that they underscore a theme that runs throughout John's writing, or Luke's writing. And that is that God delights in exalting the poor and the humble while bringing down the rich and the proud. So Mary is basically a nobody, right? And yet God chooses her to be um, the mother of the Lord. Um, Elizabeth was a childless older woman, pretty low in society at that time. Zechariah isn't a member of the Sanhedrin. He's just a you know garden variety priest who's just carrying out his duties. It's not like he's elevated or something in the priesthood. And the angels are singing their announcement to a bunch of shepherds who are dozing in the wilderness. <laughs> so, you know, all of the ways that we think God might work, you know, if, we, if it was left up to human reason, God goes completely against that. And he steps in to the world to do things in a way that is completely unexpected. He does it through humble, poor people, normal, just average folks. 
Um, and he, they become the means by which God accomplishes what he wants to. And it, what's amazing to me, you know, read the scriptures. All over the place, God does things through us dopey, sinful people. He uses us to accomplish his means, and it's just incredible to watch how God is involved in all that. Thoughts, comments? Seems like God always takes the unlikely. Yeah. <clears throat> he, he delights in doing that, doesn't he? God laughs. Yeah, right. <laughs> My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Um, so consider the lyrics of Mary's song. What themes do you see? How does her song help to strengthen your faith? I, I read it earlier. I almost couldn't do it without singing it because you know we sing it sometimes in worship. It's beautiful. But Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Any themes that you pluck out of that? One of them for me is um, verse 49. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Um, we look to Jesus for our salvation. It's not about what we do. It's about what God has done. And Mary's, you know, riffing on that theme right there. His mercy is for those who fear him. Um, it, it is those who have faith and who trust in Jesus Christ to whom he shows mercy. Those who don't fear him, those who tell him they're not interested in what he has to offer, those who refuse this gift of salvation, well, there's no mercy coming for them. Um, there is judgment. He's a just God, and he has said he will punish sin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and and I like this one too 54 and 55 he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever and basically what it's saying is you know when we talk about he has helped his servant Israel Israel is the stand in for all those who believe in him okay and and Paul makes the shift like really clearly and it's something that sort of freaks people out because up to that point when people thought about Israel they thought about Israel as the chosen people of God those who were descended from Abraham who were Jewish and were in that category that was Israel Paul makes the shift to say no Israel isn't about your your heritage or your lineage Israel is about your relationship with God and all of a sudden now Israel means all those who he draws to himself and who trust in him. And that means Jews and Gentiles. Um, and that's, that's the shock, I guess, that happens in some of Paul's writing. But, you know, it, it's not hard to go back into Old Testament stuff and find that and to see that God has been like that all along, that his desire is to bless mankind and to bless his people, um, even though we are a huge disappointment to him a lot of the time. <laughs> You know, our sin continually draws us away and he's constantly working to bring us back. Any other themes or thoughts on that? 
something that jumped out to me is what, who and what the world considers the top of the heap are actually the bottom for God. Yeah, yeah. The rich, the proud. Yeah, all the things that the we kind rulers. of... rulers. Right, right. And, and that's not to say, and I think this is probably important, that's not to say that, that like rich people don't go to heaven or something like that. Because, because again, what, the proud part of that is probably the more important part. Proud meaning arrogant, meaning withdrawn from God. It's those who humble themselves to understand God is God and I am not. And, and if you've got that understanding of the relationship between you and God, I'm a creature, <laughs> I'm his creature, he's the creator, I put him in his rightful place, all of a sudden everything kind of falls into place where it should be. Well, it's an example for us that we're not supposed to look at people like celebrities and sports yeah. stars and rulers right. of countries as somebody any better than we right. are. We are just as important to God as any of those people. That's exactly right. Yep, good point. Thoughts? All right, question number seven. Pam has already answered. Sorry. <laughs> Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months, returned to her home, which means Elizabeth at that point was probably going to deliver any second. And Mary was about three months pregnant. Um, so, you know, it's just, again, it's that overlapping and the timing of how all this stuff is playing out binds those things pretty closely together. Lynn? Going to that, Joseph, Mary is separated from Joseph for yeah. the first three months of her pregnancy. Yeah, that's true. And Joseph evidently doesn't know about it until she gets back. She yeah. gets back. If you read from Matthew chapter 1, don't be afraid. Yeah. He was pledged to be married to her. Yeah. If he, and as soon as he finds out that she's pregnant, Yep. He's going to divorce her. Yep. The angel. And it took an angel to convince him that it was okay. And then he took her as his wife. Right. right. Three months along. Yeah, right. Good point. God works everything out. Isn't that cool? He's amazing. All right. Under the law. How far apart did they live? If she was just about to have that baby, how long did Well, so, I mean, if it, she was in Nazareth, right? They're in Nazareth. Um, Nazareth, so let's go to my high-end map up here. <laughs> Nazareth is um, right about here. Nazareth is way up in Galilee. Um, now, this is not a huge country, okay? From here to here, by bus is a couple hours. Yeah, I remember you know. it wasn't far. But they weren't riding a bus either. They were, you know, donkeys and walking. But yeah, I mean, it was it was no trivial trip for her to go to Judah to visit with Elizabeth and to get home in time to right. have the babies. Right. While I was there. Yeah, well, yeah. Right. Well, they'll let you fly up to about six months. So. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah, right. Two hours here would be what? Where would you get in two hours? Probably Little Rock. Little Rock? Yeah. Little Rock. Yeah. Probably to Clarksville. Yeah. 
or yeah. something like that. Depends on which hills you go. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> All right. I know that it takes two hours to get the job. Yeah, that's true. Now, takes 15 minutes. Uh -huh. For you, for me. That was your <laughs> But it's an hour and 15 if you get stopped. All right. Let's close with a prayer then. Um, gracious Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, for the insights that we get from reading your word, for the, the ways that you build up our strength and that you help us to see your hand working in all things. Um, we just thank you for the, the, all the gifts that you give to us. We thank you for the ways that your hand moves in the world um, to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Um, keep us strong in our faith. Draw us ever closer to you. Guide and lead us in everything that we do, that it might be pleasing to you and bring glory to your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.